Amen. Good job on that. Amen. We'll get the missionary to present his work at the end of the service. We do that all the time, Brother Hill, to bring it at the end. Amen. Good singing. Good singing. Good songs. Take your Bible and turn it with me to Luke chapter 15 again. Luke chapter number 15. Amen. We'll back up and try this again. I'm uh, very grateful for the opportunity to preach this message. It has been on my heart for several days. Um, obviously, I said all that this morning, but for those that don't, wasn't here and will go back and listen to the message, I'm needing to take a second and put things in context. Uh, a lot of folks go back and listen to the preaching here at Calvary Baptist Church on our YouTube channel. If you're not a subscriber, go subscribe and messages are uploaded. You can go back and listen to them. I'm amazed at how many people call me or text me. Had a man call me this week, said, Pastor, I live in Michigan. Michigan. I'm a truck driver. Said, uh, heard you on, on Fox News. Heard you on Laura Ingram. And looked you up. Been listening to you preaching. Said, I can't find a church. Can, I cannot find a church up here anywhere to go to. So I listened to your preaching. Would it be okay if I sent my tithes to Calvary Baptist Church? Well, what am I supposed to say to that? Definitely don't want him to send it to Joel Osteen or Benny Hinn, amen. So I said, well, you do whatever God wants you to do. Uh, but I'm amazed at the phone calls I get, churches, really, people all over the country. Go listen. I can't believe how many people go home from church, get home from their church, and then listen to the preaching here at Calvary. That happens a lot. That surprises me. Uh, it's like going somewhere to eat and then go and eat again. But uh, anyway, that happens. And so there will be people watching this message that's not watching the live stream right now or that's not here. So if I, if I say something that seems a bit obvious, I'm just trying to put some things in context. Uh, the, the illustration, as a matter of fact, um, I, I really debated whether even to refer to what happened this morning, but I can't help but do it because it was such an amazing, for lack of a better word, coincidence. Uh, it was so... The timing was so unbelievable that a couple of people that's known me a long time thought that I had asked Brother Lee to do that as a part of an illustration. Now, I, if I had a thought about that, I probably would have, but I didn't think about it. But since he did it anyway, it worked out unbelievable because the message tonight uh, you, you, is just its unreal, really. It's unreal at how that ties in with the spiritual aspects that I was going to get to in the story of the prodigal son. But when a man stands up in the middle of the message and, and faints, falls out on the floor and faints, and is basically out of it for 15 or 20 minutes, and then you preach, I was what I was going to preach about, it's impossible not to just, it really sobered me when I got home. Uh, from church, I told my wife, I said, I can't believe it. I said, I've never seen anything like that happen while I was preaching about that very thing. And uh, so tonight we're going to look at a young man that we have heard preached. In fact, one of the ladies came to me after the service this morning and said, Preacher, you preached out of that passage a year ago. I said, I've preached on it a lot. I know I do. It's a, there's a lot in here. But we're coming up on our revival, our summer revival with Brother Mullins, Brother Russell to be here, and I just really kind of, be honest with you, I feel like God's kind of started a little bit of a revival in our hearts and in our church, even before the revival gets here, which is kind of what you want. Uh, I don't want to wait till the evangelist gets here and have to jumpstart this thing. I'd like to see God working ahead of time, breaking up some fallow ground, but in this story, there is a young man which 
I've heard it preached that he was lost and got saved. And I believe he was, uh, or you can pray, I've heard it preached that he was saved, got backslid and got right with God. And you can preach it either way. The truth of the matter is he was a son. He was a son at the beginning of the story. He was a son at the end of the story. Now his dad does make the statement, my son uh, who was dead is alive again and was lost and is found. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, this is a really good uh, illustration and a parable that describes when a person that has been saved drifts away from God and the relationship may not be uh, broken, but the fellowship has been broken. That, I'm thankful that the, the relationship doesn't hinge on me, aren't you? I'm thankful that he's my father and I'm his son and there's nothing I can do that can change that. But obviously he had gone away from his father and gotten, gotten out of the will of God and, and then gone out into the world, but he came back and it's a beautiful story here. We call it the prodigal son of a son that drifted and came back. But tonight I wanna focus, if I can, I won't read all the verses again this evening that I read this morning, uh, but from verse 11 down through pretty much the rest of the chapter is the story. But I wanna focus on what happened when uh, the famine came and he's uh, feeding the swine in verse number 16. The Bible says in verse 17, and when he came to himself, and it was last Sunday night, I was laying in the bed in my mind, I was already thinking about the youth uh, meeting going on at Brother Andy Wells. Our young people loaded up Monday morning and drove down, Brother Leader and Brother Payne and his wives, their wives took them down, our teens to the teen camp and I didn't know that I would preach, I figured that I might, so I thought I might better be ready. And Sunday night, God laid this passage of scripture on my heart. I remember I rolled over and as I do many times, I'll begin to take notes. When I get a thought or a Bible verse, I'll just start writing it down. And the thought that hit me in verse number 17 was the phrase, and when he came to. That was the phrase that just, I kind of saw it without that word himself, it means the same thing. But I thought about when somebody faints or passes out or they're unconscious, uh, we say they're out of it. We just say they're out of it. And, uh, and, and, then, and then we kind of want to bring them to. We want to bring them around using uh, smelling salts or whatever. And, and uh, we want them to sit up and, and, and get back, get, come back to us, you know. And, uh, and so that's about as far as I got this morning when we had the, the, the medical situation with Brother Lee where he literally just passed out in uh, the aisle and was out of it. And uh, thankfully, he was able to come around and they got him out of here and got him to the hospital. But I want to, if I can tonight, just preach on that thought in verse number 17, when he came to, and I want you to help me pray that God will put this together in our hearts and in our minds. And I want you to think about this on a spiritual level as we look at this story, the prodigal son. Lord, help us tonight, I pray, that you would be able to do what I cannot do. Lord, I have, have struggled and labored and I, Lord, I've tossed back and forth whether or not to even preach this after trying to preach it this morning. But Lord, I know there's somebody in this service or there's somebody gonna hear this message that needs this truth. And Father, I just pray that you'd touch me and help me now in Jesus' name, amen. You can look this way. So I begin to think about that from a perspective of someone that is just out of it and I realized that uh, he, when he came to, that means that he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. He, and when he came to himself, he was in a state prior to that that I don't know how to describe it except just saying he was out of it. And I know that it's possible for a Christian to get to that place. Multiple times in the Bible, the apostle Paul uh, referred to fainting. That is something that a Christian can do is faint. 
In fact, in the Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not when a person faints. And I have fainted a, a time or two. I have a little bit of low blood pressure at times, and sometimes it gets on the low end. I have fainted. I have passed out and fell out on the floor before uh, when my blood pressure dropped. And when, when I come to, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how long I'd been out. I didn't know what happened. I mentioned this morning where I had shot myself in the leg with a framing gun. I was up on a ladder, and I was running some siding, and I shot myself on, 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 right, just point blank right in my leg with a framing gun, three-inch framing nail. And I remember came down off the ladder, and my dad was working with me. I said, grab the pliers and pull that nail out of my leg. And he grabbed the head of that nail, snatched that nail out of my leg, and I stood up and walked around for a minute, and then I passed out. I mean, I just passed out. I don't remember passing out. It, 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 your, your brain doesn't say, okay, you're about to pass out. Get comfortable. You just do. And, uh, and I, remember, I remember when I came to, I was sitting there, and, and I looked down all my, I had thrown up, I had thrown up, I had just had that KFC, all you can eat buffet about two hours before that. I had thrown up, sorry, I don't want to gross you out. I had thrown up all down my pants, all down in my boots. I don't, I don't remember doing it. I didn't know that it was me. First thing I thought was, I'm, I'm having a bad day, shot myself in the leg. I passed out, somebody came over here and puked on me while I was out. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And I remember sitting there and I said, what happened, Daddy? He said, well, you passed out. I just let you lay down for a little while and, and then when you started coming to, I set you up. When I set you up, you threw up all over your leg and I said, my goodness, I don't remember none of that. I was out of it. You know, there's people that are saved spiritually that for some reason or another, they find themselves just out of it. They're completely disengaged and they're disconnected. Paul talked about that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse three, consider him that endured such contradiction of, of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. In Revelation chapter two, verse two and three, he said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and hast not, uh, thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. So we know that a church, a Christian, a child of God can get to the place to where they're in a state that the Bible just describes as faint. They faint. And when they're fainted, they're out of it. Is this making any sense? When I, was, when, I, when I looked at that verse, verse number 17, and when he came to, when he came to himself, I thought, well, what was he before he came to himself? He was out of it. He was out of it. And I started looking down through the verse, looking down through the story, and I made a list of things that people that are out of it, things that they do. Let's just start at verse number 12. If you're looking down through there with me, in verse number 12, when you're out of it, you'll ask for things you're not supposed to have. He said to the Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. He wasn't supposed to have that. He was the youngest son. He wasn't even the eldest son, and his daddy was still alive. I mean, he was not supposed to be asking for this. But when you're out of it, that's the kind of stuff you do. You ask for things you're not supposed to have. I also noticed in verse number 12, your prayer life will just consist of give me and nothing more when you're out of it. He had a conversation with his father and you know what it was? Give me. Not I love you. Thank you for all you've done for me. Can we spend some time together? Is there anything you want me to do? You know what his prayer life was? Give me. You know that's an indication you're out of it spiritually. Stay with me now. When if you pray, and most time people don't when they're out of it, but if they pray, it's just a, this Christmas list of stuff they want. 
Verse number 13, when you're out of it, you'll leave where you're supposed to be. The Bible says, and not many days after the younger gathered all together and took his journey. What about that? When you're not, when you're out of it, you will leave where you are supposed to be. People around you watching you pack your suitcases. Where are you going? Anywhere but here. That's an indication that you're out of it when you leave where you're supposed to be. Let's keep going. Verse 13, when you're out of it, you'll go places you're not supposed to go. The Bible says he gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And I'm, that's all I can do. I'm pumping the brakes up here. Because there's so many messages that God showed me since I've been meditating on this one, I can't preach them all. But one of these days, I'm going to come back and preach on verse number 13, where it says he gathered all together. He didn't gather everything together. He left some stuff behind. But that's another message. Just remember, I saw it first. He thought he gathered it all together. He didn't have it all together. In his mind, he had it all together. He left a whole bunch of stuff back at the house. Another message. You'll go places you're not supposed to go. Far country. And I mentioned this, preached this a year, a couple years ago, mentioned it again last week at the teen camp. And the far country is not that far. That far country, you carry it around with you every time you pick it up on you pick your phone up, there's your far country right there. Every time you log on to that computer, come on now. Every time you hit that remote control and turn that television on, that's how far it is to the far country. You can be there in about two seconds. You don't have to pack a camel and drive up and fly, go over sand dunes for six months to go to a far country. You can be in a far country sitting in a church pew. Far country's not that far. But when you're out of it, you'll go places you're not supposed to go. Verse 13, when you're out of it, you'll waste the things you're supposed to save. The Bible says, and there wasted his substance. Wasted his substance. What an amazing story. He could not live without this inheritance. Give me my inheritance. I, I'm willing to break fellowship with my family. I'm willing to leave my home, my family, my church, my friends, everybody. I gotta have it. And as soon as he got it, he wasted it. How ironic is that? Well, that's the kind of stuff you do when you're out of it. You waste stuff you're supposed to save. Verse 13, when you're out of it, you'll live in ways you're not supposed to live. The Bible said he wasted his substance with righteous living. It'd been bad enough if he'd taken his father's inheritance and done something productive with it. It'd been bad enough if he'd taken that inheritance he wasn't supposed to have in the first place and invested it, but no, he took it and he blew it and he wasted it on riotous living. You say, what was wrong with this boy? He was out of it. Right. Wasn't thinking clearly. No other way to describe it. Verse 14, when you're out of it, you'll do without things you were never supposed to do without. The Bible says, and when he had spent all, there rose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He never was supposed to be in want. He never was supposed to have those big voids and emptinesses in his life. God never intended for him to experience that. God never intended for him to live that way. But when you're out of it, you will deal with emptiness and voids and wants that God never intended you to have. Verse 15, when you're out of it, you'll join yourself with people you were never supposed to be with. You'll hook up with people that God never intended for you to even meet. 
you'll, you'll partner with people and form alliances and friendships with people God never intended for you to ever cross paths with. That's an indication that you're out of it when you're hooked up with a group of people that you're not supposed to be with. Man, you could preach for a month on every one of these points. Verse 15, you'll, when you're out of it, you'll be asked to do things you were never supposed to be asked to do. The Bible says in verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. What about that? You'll be asked to do things you were never supposed to do. Preacher, I don't know. I, I, I was in a situation that was just so much peer pressure. I, 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 don't, I didn't know how to respond. You should have never been in that position to start with. Should have never been there. You should have never been with those people. You should have never. You, 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 you would have been smart to never put yourself in a situation where you got to make decisions. People asking you to do things that they should have never even known you existed much less be able to ask you to do things. When you're out of it, though, that's what happens. You'll be asked to do things you were never supposed to be asked to do. Verse 16, when you're out of it, you'll crave things you were never supposed to crave. The Bible says that, verse number 16, he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. He's standing there knee deep in pig mud, looking at slop, and it's starting to look good to him. He would fain have filled his belly with the husks, the husks. That's the part of the corn that you don't eat. Amen. You ain't never been to the store and seen uh, corn husks in the freezer section. They got corn on the cob, they got frozen corn. But you ain't never seen husk because that ain't what you eat. But he is in a place now because he's out of it. He's now craving and desiring the very things he was never meant to crave. I mentioned last week at the youth camp, I said, I don't understand. I do not understand the frame of mind that a person has to be in to try drugs for the first time. I'm not talking about people that are addicted. I, I, that's another whole subject. I'm talking about people that are not addicted, that knows how bad it is and how addictive it is and how horrible it is and what it can do to you. And the frame of mind you gotta be in to let somebody talk you into snorting something up your nose or shooting something into your arm the first time. You gotta be out of it. I'm talking about the first timers. Are y'all still with me? We got young people down here right now that's clean as the driven snow. And with God's help, I want to keep them that way. But when you get out of it, you start craving and want things you should never crave and want. Amen. Everybody else looking at you, shaking their head, but you're going, you know what? That's like a good idea. I think I'm going to try that. Husk? Slop? Come on now. What's your problem? You're out of it. By the way, we got a lot of Christians today sitting in churches just like this that'll go home and turn that television on and they'll eat slop. They'll eat slop. Come on now. Critique preachers. 
that preacher had a bad attitude. That preacher shouldn't have said that. And then sit there and watch movies with filth and profanity and God's name in vain and homosexual love scenes and same-sex references and fornication and adultery and bed scenes and every kind of blasphemous sin and never flinch, never blink an eye, never change the channel. What's your problem? You're out of it. You're out of it. You're out of it. Let's just be honest. There's no other word. There's no other way to explain it. Number six, verse number 16, when you're out of it, you'll be abandoned by people that you were never supposed to know. The Bible says no man gave unto him in verse number 16. What a contrast from verse number 12. Father, give me. Father, give me. Father, give me. Father, give me. Father gave it to him. Now he's surrounded by people who won't give him anything. Mm. Surrounded by people that don't care. And when you're out of it, you are completely oblivious to what is going on around you. You're oblivious. People are praying for you. You don't even know it. People are trying to talk you into doing right. You don't care. You don't listen. You don't respond. This morning when Brother Lee was laying there on the floor, Brother Frank was there saying, Brother Lee, Brother Lee, Brother Lee. He wasn't responding. He wasn't answering. And that was very concerning. Very concerning. When his best friend and the voice of the man that he loves and talks to he was getting no response. Are y'all following what I'm saying? You know spiritually that you're out of it when people around you are trying their best to get your attention and trying to get you to get right and not do this and don't do that. Please don't go there. Please don't get involved in that. And it's like water off a duck's back. There's no other way to describe it except that you're out of it. You're out of it. Brother Adrian and I were talking before church. We brought up, he mentioned a young man that we used to, I mean, was as close to me as any young man has ever been in my ministry. I'm talking about got right up under me and was my sidekick and would drive me to meetings and come over to the house all the time and come by my office and we'd drink coffee and we just hung out. I watched him drift, watched him drift. And it was just, it, it, was, it was impossible to get him back. And we'll never forget the moving of God at our church. This was the one in South Carolina. That was a moving of God. And I'm talking about an unusual, and we've had them here, an unusual moving of God where, I mean, if you had an earthquake, it couldn't have been any more obvious that God was doing something. And people were getting saved, and people were getting right, and, and, and the services were just absolutely unbelievable, and the power of God and the presence of God was surreal. And we watch that young man service after service after service after service sit there with his glazed over look in his eyes. He was completely detached from what was going on. He was out of it. Call him, text him, talk to him, talk to him. It was like talking to that wall right there. For a pastor, for a parent, it was a very difficult thing to watch happen. You know, verse 17, something big happened. Verse 17 says, and when he came to himself, he, he came to. It's like, it's like God just waved some smelling salts under his nose. And he blinked a couple times and set up. Bible says he came too. And the minute, listen to me, the split second that that happened, everything in his life did a 180. I'm talking about there was such a drastic change in this young man when he came too. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, when he came too, he got honest. 
for the first time in this story, this boy got real. He got honest about what was going on. Look what he says in verse 17. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare? What a statement. The place you couldn't get out of there fast enough. You couldn't wait. I mean, just a few days after you got your inheritance, you packed your duffel bags and your suitcases and you hauled it out of town. You couldn't wait to get there and you stopped at every, every whorehouse and every gambling joint and every beer joint and every nightclub that you could stop at and you just indulged and you lived like a dog until you spent every dime you had and the minute you came to, the first thing you thought about was, Serving the Father is a whole lot better than serving the flesh. That's the first thing. That's the first thing that came to his mind. My Father's servants has got it better than this. Three things I noticed about him getting honest. He got honest about his service. How many hired servants of my Father's have bread? You know what he realized? It wasn't as bad at the house as he thought it was. All those nights he laid in his bed thinking, I can't wait till I get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. Just as soon as I can, I'm gonna pack up and get out of here. I don't like it here. I don't wanna be here no more. I don't wanna live here. I don't wanna sit under this house. I don't wanna be under these rules. I don't wanna do what daddy said. I don't wanna be with these people. But now that he's standing knee deep in, in, in the hog pen, all of a sudden he got honest that where he was at really wasn't all that bad. Up to this point, he had a bad attitude about the father. Up to this point, he had no desire to serve on the family farm. But after he came to, he realized serving the Father was a whole lot better than serving the flesh. When he came to himself, he realized his Father didn't treat his servants the same way the devil treated his. <laughs> Come on. Now. By the way, you will notice in verse number, there's another message. I don't know why I'm doing this. Verse 15, he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields. Is that what your Bible says? Thought about this, the father has fields. John chapter four, verse 35, say not yet there are four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white already in the harvest. The father has fields. And the devil has fields. You're gonna serve in one or the other. Why don't you go ahead and decide you'll serve in the Father's fields? And I made a little contrast of the field of the Father versus the field of the foreigner. You ready for this? We serve in the Father's field because we choose to. You serve in the devil's field because you're forced to. He sent him. He didn't want to, but he sent him. Took advantage of him. He exploited him. The field of the father versus the field of the foreigner. The father's field is full of souls and a harvest. The fields of the foreigner is full of swine and husks. <laughs> the field of the father makes you want to stay and serve more. The field of the foreigner makes you want to leave and never go back. The field of the father is full of other laborers. The field of the foreigner is full of loneliness. The field of the father produces reward. The field of the foreigner produces ruin. The field of the father is what you were created to do. 
the field of the foreigner is the opposite of what you were created to do. And the field of the Father produces a supply of more fruit, whereas the field of the foreigner depletes the fruit and the supply that you already had. Sent him into his fields. Well, we like that fields in the missions conference, don't we, Brother Hildebrand? Look upon the fields. They're white already in the harvest. But the devil's got his fields too. And some of you say, I don't want nothing to do with the field of God. I don't want nothing to do with soul winning. I don't want anything to do with world missions. I don't want anything to do with evangelism. And then you'll hop the fence and the next thing you know, you're working in the devil's fields. Hating every minute of it. He got honest about his service. Number two, he got honest about his starvation. Look what he said in verse 17. I perish with hunger. I perish with hunger. And when we read that, we go, well, that's pretty obvious. No, he got hungry all the way back in verse number 14. He was just in denial. When he came to, you know what he said? I'm starving. He began to be in want in verse 14. It was his hunger that drove him to join himself with the citizen of the other country. It was his hunger that drove him to working with the swine. It was his hunger that caused him to crave the husk. But he wouldn't admit he was hungry till he came to. And when he came to, he said, I'm starving. We got people today that are starving, they just don't know it. They're in denial. He was hungry all the way back in verse 14. But he got honest about his situation when he came to. Thirdly, he got honest about his sin. Verse 18, look at it. I will arise, go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. It took him long enough. You know what happens when you're out of it? You deny that you're doing anything wrong. You justify it. You defend it. You try to slap some kind of label on it. We say stuff like, well, I've just, you know, pray for me, preacher. I've just got an issue. Issue? Is, is that the word for it now? You've got an issue? Pray for me, preacher. I've got, you know, I've got this thing. Pray for me, preacher. You know, I, my, my, I, got, I'm, I'm, I can't help the way I am. I, I, my daddy was like this. My mama was like this. When you're out of it, you'll make excuses, you'll be in denial, you'll justify it, you'll prop it up, but the minute you come to, you'll get honest and recognize it for what it is. It's sin. He said, I will say, I have sinned. He was in sin the whole time. Never one time did he call it sin. Not one time. When he came to, he got honest. As long as you're making excuses and defending your sin, guess what? You're out of it. Your preacher's looking at you and say, you, you ought not to be doing that. And you say, well, I don't like you telling me that. I don't, like, I don't like my parents telling me no. I don't like all these rules. I don't like all these restrictions. I don't like all these, you can't do that. You can't. When you come to, you'll like it. Because you realize it's keeping you from sin. When he came to, he got honest. Number two, when he came to, he got humble. He got humble. Look at what he says in verse 19. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. I will say to my father, here's what he said, I will say to my father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. What happened? Well, before, before he was, when he was out of it, he had the sense of entitlement. Give me, give me my portion. Give me my portion. I'm not even the oldest. You're not even dead yet. 
but I want what's mine. But when he got, when he, when he, when he, when he came to, you know what he said? I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. There's something about coming to that will put a whole new perspective on what you really deserve. Now we serve a God that through the blood of Jesus Christ, he's made us worthy. <laughs> and listen, our, our young people sing, I think Kelly sings that song, he saw me and he thought I was worth it. Jesus shed his blood. I didn't say you were worthless. I said we're not worthy. Come on now. Well, Mephibosheth, you know what he said to David? What you, I'm a dead dog. What are you calling me up here from Lodabar? What are you calling me up here to sit at your table for? I'm a, I'm a dead dog. That Syrophoenician woman, you know what she said? Even the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I'm saying when you, when you come to, there'll be a humility, not this defiant entitlement mentality, give me, give me, give me, give me. It'll be, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just stick, put a, stick a broom in my hand, stick me over there in the back 40 where nobody can see me, sweeping, mopping, raking, doing something little for God. Over here, I don't, I'm not worthy. The change in his attitude when he came to. Thirdly, I like this point, when he came to, he got home. <laughs> Verse 20, and he arose, came to his father. As soon as he came to, you know what he did? He headed to the house. As soon as he came to, as soon as he came to, are y'all getting this? The first thing he wanted to do was be back at the father's house where the father was where the father's bread was, where the father's servants was. Some of y'all looking at me kind of cockeyed. First place he wanted to be when he came to was at the father's house. And when you're out of it, one of the first things that'll be an indication that you're out of it is you won't want to be at the father's house. You'd rather be anywhere else but the father's house. Preacher, what are you talking about? Well, if you're a little slow, we'll just, I mean, just bring it to speed. You're sitting in the Father's house right now. But when you're out of it, you'd rather be sitting on a beach somewhere cooking. You'd rather be in the mountains. You'd rather be at the lake. You'd rather be on a boat. You'd rather be on a golf cart. You'd rather be on vacation. You'd rather be at the restaurant. You'd rather be working on your car or cutting your grass than be at the house of God when you're out of it. But the first thing that happened when he came to was he headed home. Person that's happened, a person that's happy staying away from the Father's house is out of it. A person that prefers the company of the swine over the Father's servants is out of it. A person that prefers the foreigner's trough over the Father's table is out of it. Is everybody still with me? Mm. A person that can remember the Father's bread and still eat slop is out of it. I love the fact he initiated the return. There wasn't nobody went after him and drug him home. 
I said, nobody went and found him and lassoed him and drug him back to the house. He initiated the return. You want to know why? He came too. <laughs> he didn't even ask when he got back. I can't believe I was gone all that time and nobody called me. I've had people say that to me. I ain't been to church in two months and nobody's called me. I said, you didn't call me. And you was the one that left. You was the one that got fouled up sideways, got bitter, got aggravated and left. You want everybody to come chase you down. You didn't love us enough to say bye. The prodigal son didn't come home and say, Daddy, why didn't you come get me? If you loved me, you'd have sent the older brother to come get me. That ain't what he did because when he came to, he said, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. When he came to, he got home. Thirdly, fourthly, one, two, three, four, he got honored when he came to. He got honored. <laughs> Come on now. When he came to, you know what? There was a father standing there looking for him to come home. And the Bible says his father saw him a long way off and ran. Ran. Come on now. Old man ran. Oh man. He may have been on a golf cart. Same thing, same thing. He may have just cranked up the golf cart and started up the road. I don't know. He ran and the Bible says fell on his neck and embraced him and kissed him. <laughs> this old stink. Can you imagine what he smelled like living in a hog pen? Can you imagine what that boy smelled like? He ain't had a bath. Probably greasy, grimy. Probably, all, probably hair all growed out, all tangled and messed up and gnarly. Hadn't brushed his teeth or flossed. He probably, his breath probably smelled like a mule. His clothes all ripped and tattered. And daddy saw him and grabbed him and hugged him and kissed him. And you know what he said? He said, Bring the, bring the robe, verse 22. Bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his, on his hand. His shoes on his feet. Boy, the significance of all this. There's so much symbolism and significance. That ring back in the family. He covered up all that old nasty, all that old ugly. His feet, toes, toenails, all that, all that old swine, pig, mud. He covered it all up. Put that robe on him, covered him up. And he said, bring hither the fatted calf, verse number 23. Amen. If it had been a, if it had been a vegan, he'd have said, bring hither the head of lettuce. I have to poke at these vegans. Somebody said, how do you know somebody's a vegan? I said, they'll tell you. They're proud of it. Bumper stickers and everything. That's right. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost in his family. He was a guest of honor. He was a guest of honor when he came to. Here's a big lie the devil will tell people when they backslide. You can't go back. You can't go back. Yes, you can go back. Yes, you can go back and find God with open arms 
and a big old hug and a big old kiss and he'll help clean you up. He'll help get you right, amen. If we, can, if we sin, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can come back. You better believe you can come back. Let me close with this age-old question that's plagued pastors and parents for centuries. When you've got a church member, you've got a family member that's out of it, how in the world do you get them to come to? If I could answer that question, I'd write a book and get rich. I've seen people in my ministry and I ain't the best preacher in the world, but I know I get loud out. Something ought to wake them up. Slapping the pulpit, stomping, spitting, snotting. You'd think something every now and then to jar them. I'm talking about Holy Ghost smelling salts. That'll make them, that'll make them sit up and, and blink and go, what, what happened? And you look at them and say, it's all right. You was out for a while, but you're back. If I knew the formula, Brother Caleb, if I knew the words that you could say, the, the formula that you could use to help somebody that's out of it come to, I could get rich. But I thought about what was it in verse number 17 that made this boy come to? I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I've got a couple of ideas, but I don't know that I have the answer. But if you're taking notes, write this down, number one. I believe the misery that he was in contributed to it. See, he was in control of everything in his life except the famine. <laughs> and God sent something to him he couldn't control. His life was in shambles. His dreams were shattered. Satan had chewed him up, spit him out. He was broke and he was broken. He had no money, had no friends, had no food, he had nothing. Maybe it just got so bad that it triggered his mind into realizing that he had been deceived and sold a false bill of goods. The devil is an excellent salesman, by the way, young people. The devil knows how to sell. He knows how to make that young man look like Prince Charming. And he's a bum. He's a loser. Can't even pull his britches up and hold down a job. He has to borrow money to go to Chick-fil-A. But the devil will make you think that's the guy right there you've been waiting on. That's the one God's prepared for you your whole life. The devil's a good salesman. He'll make you, he'll make you young men look at that girl and say, oh, ain't she just the prettiest thing? And she's a Jezebel. Might have her hair just right, her makeup just might be right. She might have the right perfume, but she's a Jezebel. That's the last thing you'd want to spend the rest of your life with. Yes, but the devil knows how to sell those friends and those, those things. You just got to have it. Maybe he just got so miserable, it clicked in his mind. The devil sold me a false bill of goods. I was better off at the house having to make my bed every day. Maybe it was the misery. Number two, maybe it was the memory. We're talking about what made him come to. Maybe it was the memory. Without a doubt, no question about it, he could not forget the bread from the father's house. First thing he thought of, bread. My, hired, my father's hired service has got bread. Bread enough and to spare. I used to turn my nose up at that bread. 
I used to push it to the side. Mama would bring a big old bowl of steaming hot, fresh bread and sit it on the table, and I'd push it aside and eat something else, but I sure would love to have some of Mama's bread right now. There's people sitting in this service right now turning their nose up at this kind of preaching, but there are people halfway around the world trying to log on to get some of it because there ain't none of it where they're at. It's amazing, it's amazing that when you're out of it, the bread don't look that good and smell that good and taste that good, but mark it down. If you've heard it, you've heard it before. When you get out to the world, God will make sure you remember and you don't forget. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. There'll be something stuck in their mind, something stuck in their heart. Bible verses from vacation Bible school, Bible verses from Bible class, a message Pastor Shiflet preached, a message an evangelist preached, so chapel message that God's gonna do something to stick a hook in you and you won't be able to forget it. And you'll be out there and you'll be out of it and then all of a sudden God will bring something in your mind and it may just cause you to go, hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. Look where I am. How did I get here? Could have been the misery. Could have been the memory. But I'm going to be honest with you what I think it was. Number three, I just believe it was the mercy of God. There is no other way around it. God was merciful to this young man in verse number 17 because if he'd have gotten what he deserved, come on now, he'd have starved to death in that hog pen. If he'd have got what he deserved, God would have just let him shrivel up and die right there in that far country, slaving for that man. But God, in his mercy, came by one day and took a little dose of Holy Ghost uh, uh, smelling salts and waited under his nose and he opened up his eyes and the Bible says he came to himself. That was the mercy and grace of God. No question about it. Daddy was home praying, Mama was home praying. And there was nobody within a thousand miles of him, but the Holy Ghost tracked him down and the mercy of God brought him to. What a blessing. What a blessing. My goodness gracious. We've got people sitting in this service right now. We've got people watching this service later on. And your spiritual condition literally could be described as out of it. You fainted. You're, you're out. People around you are trying to talk to you. Brother Lee this morning, laying there this morning in that, in that state of just unconsciousness, we were checking his pulse, checking his heart rate. Sister Kristen was supposed to work today. She's a nurse, but she was off and she was here. Praise the Lord, she was a blessing. And people was bringing all this stuff and she pricked his finger, checked his sugar, he didn't flinch. She poked his, I'm talking about poked his finger with that needle. Everybody around him trying to help him, check on him, checking on him, checking on him, checking on him. Cold rags on his brow, fanning him, loosening his tie, loosening his collar. He was out of it. Boy, I've pastored some people like that. We've had staff meetings. Come on now, we've had staff meetings where names came up and I said, let's loosen their collar. Let's, let's fan them, let's put a cold rag on them. Let's, let's, let's have a meeting, let's have a youth meeting. Let's load them up and take them over there. Let's get the brother so-and-so in here to preach to them. We were thinking of everything we could to try to help them come too. But at the end of the day, when you're out of it, it's only the mercy and grace of God that helps you come around. And when he does that, you ought to fall down on your knees and thank him that he didn't leave you where you were. 
that he brought you back to a place where you can be restored to the fellowship and the blessings. And the Bible says a man went from a hog pen craving the husk and starving and wanting the slop to sitting at the father's table eating the fatted calf. Only the mercy and grace of God. I wonder tonight with heads bowed, eyes closed, there may be somebody here that would say, Pastor Shiflett, I feel myself a little drifting. I feel myself a little faint. I feel a little disengaged. I feel a little, I feel a little disconnected. Can I tell you what I'd do if I was you? I'd climb over pews if I had to to get to the altar. I'd crawl if I had to to get in the altar. We got revival coming up in a few weeks, but there's no reason why God can't do something for you tonight. Fan those flames that are dying and, and bring back those slumbering embers and bring them back the spark in the fire. People around you praying for you. Your husband's praying for you. Your wife's praying for you. Your parents are praying for you. Your pastor and youth pastor are praying for you. And you're, you're out of it. Either a little bit or a lot. Only God knows. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight. I'm just preaching what God laid on my heart. But God's able tonight to bring back that wandering, drifting soul back to the full fellowship with the Father. Young people, he's able to give you tonight a renewed love for the bread from the Father's table. God knows how to make serving the Father look fun again, look good again. Why don't you walk away from that foreigner's field?